Okay, here we go. Hey guys, uh, good to have you on episode seven of the Indian Diaspora podcast. Uh, this is Vijay here, and today I'm joined by Shashi and Neeraj. Uh, Neeraj is in India, actually. He's uh, gone there uh, on family as well as business uh, work. And uh, uh, Vishwas, unfortunately, cannot join us today, so it'll be three of us. And the topic we're going to talk about today is something that I've been noodling around for for quite a while in, inside my family with my wife, etc. And it's really about the concept of what sort of mindset do you need to have to take chances and risks in this world, right? So the idea that we talk about is uh, the scarcity mindset where you're always thinking that there are finite resources in the world. And so you have to fight hard to make sure that you succeed or having in a mindset of abundance where it's really not a zero sum, but more of a, there's so much out there. Let's all go get it and let's take some chances along the way. And the thing that, uh, makes me think about it a lot of late is all these things that are going on in Silicon Valley, actually across the business world where companies that were started by others and did really well, it became really big. And you can think of the fang companies, for example. Uh, when it's time for the founders to move on, they are starting to install Indians as their CEOs, right? So a lot of IITs actually, uh, people, some people that we even know, uh, one of our classmates is running Google. So, uh, uh, we have this uh, trend of taking Indians, uh, a lot of Indians who actually grew up in India, came to the U.S. as immigrants, um, got their education, got their experience, and then starting to run these really large businesses. And also some Indian, second generation Indians who grew up in, in the U.S. Uh, but then when I look around and see, you know, are there any stories of uh, Indians having actually built these kinds of big businesses, unicorns from scratch, uh, they seem to be sort of, Fewer. I don't. I, I struggle to find those stories, right? And I almost say, you know, could an Indian have actually built a company like Facebook? Uh, what would that story have been like? And uh, if they had, if we have not done it so far, what is holding us back? And I feel like there is a certain type of mindset you need to go and build something like Facebook, which uh, you know, it was basically <laughs> an idea and a jump into something that you didn't have any idea where it would go. It was very innovative for its time. Uh, you know, when I was in graduate school, I had some of these ideas, uh, Neeraj, you know, and probably Shashi, you know, that I uh, spent the whole uh, winter vacation building out um, a website for IIT Kharagpur, and I worked with the people who started the Alumni Foundation to build the site to get all the alumni together. But then, you know, reality took over, and I had to <laughs> drop that project and get back into finishing my grad school and finding a job. Uh, I, you know, so... Why, why is that? Uh, again, you know, we all of us come from fairly humble backgrounds. Uh, you know, we don't have big inheritances, etc. to fall back on. So uh, the reality of life is that we have to go and make sure that we secure our futures and uh, find uh, jobs or occupations that uh, are low in risk and ensure that, uh, you know, the next 10, 20 years, whatever, are stable so that we can set ourselves up. But once we get there, and I would I would go so far as to say now all of us on this call are you know maybe we started from a place where we were cash strapped etc but now we are all in a different place financially right so the question is have we changed how we operate or are we still operating in ways that uh somewhat betray our humble and maybe i would say cash stretched beginnings uh and the very traits that have made us quite successful to this point are they also the traits that are holding us back 
And then taking it one step further, because, okay, you know, we are already, you know, in our 50s, got a maybe 10, 20 more years, uh, productive years before we, we start winding down. Are these traits actually rubbing off on our kids? So, you know, even maybe, maybe you know, we had a certain reality that we had to deal with. But are we operating in ways which are now uh, maybe limiting how they behave? So how are we uh, positioning them to take bigger risks and bets on themselves? This is something that we discuss a lot in our household. Um, you know, what what are the strengths that come from the mindsets we have, but also uh, how are we losing certain constraints on ourselves and setting an example so our kids could also then go forward and maybe take bigger risks and chances and explore the world because they are on a firmer footing, uh, you know, in, in, their, in their countries than we were when we immigrated here. So that's a topic I wanted to explore with you guys. And uh, let's see where it goes. So maybe I'll start with uh, you, Neeraj. You're also in the U.S. Uh, and you you started in a very traditional sort of uh, job after your grad school, but then you went on to do a lot of entrepreneurial things. So what are your thoughts on this topic? So I agree on one thing, which is that, you know, we all came with mild, you know, sorry, not mild, middle, humble backgrounds. So we all looked for a safety net, right? Um, when we were in high school, the path was pretty much defined for us, doctor or engineer. There was not much risk outside, right? So because, hey, you know, your parents said, either you're going to be a doctor or an engineer. So if you think about risk-taking back then, nobody thought the professions like YouTubers could exist, right? So we stayed in that guard race, came to U.S. after engineering, got a corporate job. And uh, after, you know, PhD in corporate job, I was like, if I keep doing this, this is my lifestyle. I'll be a middle manager, maybe reach to upper management in another 10, 15 years. Um, I don't want to do that. So, so for me, the impetus to start something on my own was like, hey, I'm pretty happy with this lifestyle. Why not explore something outside? And it was less of risk taking, but it was more of a confidence I had that should things not go right, I can easily come back to this corporate life, right? Then I would have a job offer somewhere. So for me, the risk taking, I mean, it was a sort of a risk, but there were two things that were critical for me. Do I have health insurance? You know, in US, health insurance is the most critical part of our uh, living here. Without that, you're screwed, totally screwed. So I'm like, hey, I have enough money and I'm going to go jump and start my business. But when I started my business, the area I started in, I was told, why are you jumping in this area? There are at least 10 different companies doing the same thing as you are doing. And I was like, so what? There are many fish in the pond. I don't have to worry about my competitor A, B or C because all I need is certain set of clients. And all I need to do, and all I need to do is build certain things, certain you know pieces of my uh, what I do, and that should be okay. And in that case, if this doesn't work out, as I was saying earlier, I'll come back to corporate life. So for me, the risk taking came because I looked at the worst case scenario, and worst case scenario did not scare me at all. And I said, okay, if that's the case, I'm moving on. Part two of that rubbing on the family. Or, or how that's impacting my decision making. Actually, as I'm getting going along, I'm becoming more and more confident. Although it was 10 years back, back then I was in 40s, I could have come back to corporate world now, I'm in 50s. 
is comparable ready to take me if this does not work out i don't care frankly i think i can get back if i need to but at the same time uh i'm willing to take more risk i am uh, my definition of risk is kind of counter opposite like if this thing does not scare me i'm going to do it whereas risk people define as hey this thing is going to hurt me for sure yet i'm going to try to do it <laughs> and i'm going to see where it goes so that's how we have kind of been uh, going along in terms of my entrepreneurial path trying different thing looking at the worst case scenario and if that's not bothering me i'm just going with it yeah and you know uh, i love i love what you just said about uh, risk taking and the definition of risk taking i don't know if you hear guy raz he's a guy who interviews a lot of uh, uh, people who built all sorts of companies and he wrote a book about his findings and he classifies things into two buckets he talks about uh, things that are risky uh, versus uh, things that are dangerous so i guess it's really about things that can really really hurt you versus things that are just actually not even uh, risky he says dangerous and scary those are the two words he uses right and it's you know just because it's scary doesn't mean it's uh, going to ruin you it's just something that you need to calibrate and understand and i think it's a muscle that gets built over time right and your looks like in the last many years you've been progressively building that risk taking muscle this is something that i've been working on myself and it's something that i have to work on consciously because uh, if i just fall back to sort of uh upbringing etc where we you know we are always thinking about uh, money and stuff like that uh you have to sort of overcome that and i always wonder uh you know the is that risk taking muscle getting built in my kids uh, more progressively now so that they don't have to consciously have to build it later but also obviously uh, all the things you said about yeah risks they're cool but in the end you also have to think about uh you know the consequences and do you have your backup plans and stuff like that so uh how, how do you create that reality that's somewhat unfettered but also you have some guardrails in place so maybe shashi what are your thoughts on this this is fascinating uh but i think we need to kind of unpack this a little bit one is that i think our background the three of us and many of our friends from uh iit days had a very similar background of parents who had been in um you know comfortable jobs very often in government jobs and um stability was a very big factor in our lives so it's not just scarcity it's also about the fact that there was stability um and we kind of valued stability you know a monthly paycheck coming in and all that that's not true of other people and if you look at the wider diaspora you know whether it's in the US or in the UK or indeed anywhere else there's a whole bunch of um, other people who came in you know many of them gujaratis who came in with the mindset of running a business and they didn't suffer from some of the same problems that we did now the fact is that all of us suffered from um some debilitating factors you know all of us have stood in russian queues and waiting for gas cylinders and all that and it leaves a very deep imprint on your body um, you know on and on your mind it doesn't go away so i think th- those are definitely uh, limiting factors in our upbringing but if you look at uh, the careers of many of our friends you know including people who've gone on to become very senior in companies what defines them in my view is that they're not willing to take risks personally but they're willing to take massive corporate risks and i can say that for myself as well you know i mean i've never had the mindset to go and build a business or to take that kind of risk and it's for all the reasons that you and neeraj have already pointed out but when i look at my uh, career in in my uh, you know I've, i've worked for one company now for 20 years and i look at what risks i've taken on the company's behalf you know very calculated very well formed risks 
and they've paid off. I mean, those are incredible. I mean, not many people would have the appetite to take that on. So there is this distinction that, you know, you want to be a, you know, a good servant, you know, you know, a good employee. You want to do some amazing things for your company. But there's something in your own background that holds you back from taking those risks yourself. And I think, you know, Satyananda has talked about this uh, quite a bit in his books about having the growth mindset. And the growth mindset doesn't come easily. And it certainly doesn't come if you're worried about uh, stability and so on. And the reality is, uh, I'm, you know, you and Neeraj can give me your views. The reality is that even after having spent, you know, 20, 30 years in the West and having, you know, good savings, good, you know, stability and all that, we still worry about the fact that there isn't a safety net that we can rely upon. Um, you know, we don't have the family backup. We don't have, you know, other things to fall back upon. And I think it limits our mindset. I, I, I don't think there's any doubt in that at all. But what I would caution, though, is let's not assume that that's true of everyone from India who's living in India or indeed for everyone in the diaspora. And if you think about, uh, you know, kids coming out of IIT now, um, I think they have a slightly different mentality. Some of this, some of this is a, a mark of our times and the fact that we saw the world of rationing and everything else and it left a deep imprint on us. Yeah, so, so true, Shashi. And I think it's it's like the lizard brain, right? You kind of, there are all these uh, um, uh, scars and maybe just memories that are imprinted and then you kind of, that's where you fall back on. It feels familiar. And I think the, the, con- the comment you made about um, corporate risk versus personal risk is fascinating too because uh, the U.S. system, at least, is so conducive to take chances when you run a business and I, I see this all the time, right? I see it in a lot of my neighbors are actually small business owners, and that's the only way they would choose to be. And because they, they value their independence and they, they really want, you know, prefer to do it that way. But a lot of what they're able to do is because of the way the system is set up and, you know, the bankruptcy laws. So people can actually take chances on themselves and not get destroyed. And if you kind of grow up seeing that around you and knowing that that system exists and maybe having leveraged that system, Perhaps the way you think and behave is different from uh, when you grew up thinking maybe, you know, if you make one bad step, it could kind of <laughs> lead to ruin. So part of it is just maybe what you're immersed in, what you're surrounded by, and what you see on a day-to-day basis. So, Dina, you, you're in Florida, very uh, business-friendly. Uh, uh, what do you see in your community? So I'll tell you one thing, <clears throat> that when I was working in corporate world, right, most of the people around me, whether Indians or non-Indians, were very comfortable in their job. But there were a handful of people who we discussed that, hey, we want to do something different. So what you were mentioning earlier, the surrounding, the you know the people you interact with, that actually also does a lot of influence. So if 10 years back, when actually when I started my company, if 10 years before that somebody asked, what were you going to do 10 years later? Like and typically they ask an interview you kind of come up with a, some kind of silly, cliche answer. But doing my own business was never going to be my answer 10 years before. That would be 2001, 2002. But along the path, when you meet people, interact with people, and they come up with the idea. As much as I worked for a very smart company, Capital One, and they were all data-oriented, there were times like, hey, why are we not doing this? And when some of the guys say, why don't you do that then, Niraj? I'm like, okay. So I think part of that, the taunting in a, in a, in a jovial, in a friendly way, uh, kind of led me to a point where I'm like, yeah, this is enough. Enough of this uh, 
corporate BS where it's nine to five, things are perfect, data is aligned, project management, EHIL, lean, all these fancy words are there, but that's not challenging me because I want to do something. So for me, the idea of doing something risky, as I still mentioned earlier, was influenced a lot by my colleagues, not my from my family. My family till date still does not know my family being parents, sisters. They still don't know what I do exactly. They know I have a business. That's all they know. Um, but I think it was driven a lot by the colleagues and the peers that I worked with. And going back to your question, yeah, there are bankruptcy laws. There are laws that don't destroy you. So I mentioned, what was the worst case scenario? My business won't flourish. I might have some loans that I might have to pay off. And I work in the industry. So not saying that I know the dirty tricks, but there are ways to legally and amicably solve those debts. And I'm like, okay, that's what it is. Uh, but as I went along, when I started my business and I, people come and ask me like, hey, I want to start my business. What about this? What about that? What about that? I say, if you start putting every duck in a row, you will never start your business. No, you will never have that uh, you know, thing. Uh, don't even worry about the market share that you have, you're looking at. If you think there's a problem to be solved and you can do better than the other guys, it might take you three years, do it. Don't worry about taxation and don't worry about fees and licenses. There are experts who will guide you through that and, and get you out. So now my advice to people is if you have even 1% <laughs> willingness to take that risk, do it. Right? The, the 99% will come along. Funny enough, uh, we did mention our children. My children have not got that gene yet. Maybe because uh, they're comfortably living... Uh, they they go to school, they hang out with their friends, they watch their TV, their sports, their drama, and they're fine. And I'm not really looking to push them and, you know, because once they go into college, just like, you know, I went to college, met you guys, somebody else and other people, and I met at the, at the job, they would also get influenced by those people. So as much as parents are the basic influencers in life, they're going to see 100 more people that are going to guide them and actually actually develop their risk-taking, scarcity mindset or abundance mindset, whatever they would feel like. And I am not really worried about it, to be honest, because neither did my parents. <laughs> so why should I? Well, Vijay, I think one thing to say here is, you know, the scarcity mindset is not just about taking uh, risk to start a business. It's also about exploring um, careers and work that, Traditionally, in your family, people may not have done. You know, I mean, if you recall our childhood, you know, as Neeraj said earlier, you know, we were being streamed either towards engineering or medicine because that's what felt comfortable. That's not happening as much in India right now. You know, people have many more avenues. Um, and, you know, if you look at the diaspora itself, you know, our children are going off to do other things um, that we may not have contemplated doing when we were children. So, I think some of this is definitely a sign of our times. You know, you can't forget that we lived in a desperately poor country. Um, and, you know, that will leave, you know, at least some mark on you. I think the real question is how to not have this become a generational thing where generation after generation, that mindset is what, uh, what, what traps you. And the fact is that if you look at, uh, you know, if you look at all the social research, um, you know, there are business families in India, you know, it's very much defined by the caste system as well. But there are business families, they have huge networks of people that they can fall back upon and all that. And it's not easy to break into uh, those networks. I mean, it's not impossible either. But 
all of those are determining factors about what people end up doing. Uh, but you know, the you you pointed out something about our past, right? And so one could argue that if your past was uh, not difficult, then you would have a different mindset and be positioned potentially to succeed in taking risks. But you also hear all these stories about very successful industrialists who <laughs> their stories are very interesting. How they had to, you know, they were very scrappy. They had to fight for every penny in the beginning and they built businesses from zero to something that's gargantuan now. But then you look at their next generation and they're not ready to take the reins. I mean, they, because of the comfortable lifestyle and maybe they got everything uh, that they always asked for, they did not build that muscle for uh, maybe, um, they never had their backs to the wall, right? And so the immigrant story that we talk about where you come in, you have your backs to the wall. And even if you have, you mentioned this idea that all the diaspora are not similar in background to us. Absolutely true, right? I mean, there are a lot of people, as you said, who come in to build businesses. But, you know, perhaps their family backgrounds were such that that was normal. Uh, you know, my wife is Gujarati, and I see huge differences between their community and my community, which is from Kerala. We think differently in, in a lot of dimensions. For them, entrepreneurship and business is pretty natural because there's generations behind them. And so that's how they have evolved their thinking and they're very comfortable with the idea of taking risk. So there's some of that background, but then we, if, if we uh, also look at the implications of success and maybe once you get to a good place, how do you uh, get your kids to also have a little bit of that drive to go succeed and rather, and not just uh, take for granted that everything's in, you know, in, in a good shape and, and you want to make sure that they also push hard, right? So how do you create that? Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, maybe I'll start with you, Shashi. Your son is in college and uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on this? Well, look, you know, I mean, there's the old adage, isn't it? That uh, shirt sleeve to shirt sleeve in three generations. Um, and there is some truth to it that um, it's not just the family background. It's not just the setting. The personal hunger to do these things is also very important. But I think there's a different factor behind this, Vijay. I think the issue is that to expect that just because one generation has been successful at doing something, therefore the next generation will also be successful at doing the same thing, um, I think is asking for too much, you know, because there's a lot of personal initiative that comes into it. There's also a lot of luck and chance that comes into it, you know, being in the right place at the right time and all that stuff. You know, for all the talk about, uh, you know, this being purely about merit, you know, being in the right place at the right time is a very big factor in determining success. So the expectation that, you know, over generations, people should be able to sustain and remain on top of the game, I think is asking for a bit too much. Having said that, you know, to your point, um, comfort can breed complacence. And complacence is where decline starts. So, you know, how to inculcate the values of uh, hard work and aspiration and all of that in the next generation is always a critical factor. Um, and it's not easy. I mean, I don't think there's any set formula for how you do it. And it's certainly like, you know, the kind of scarcity that we saw, our children are not seeing that. You know, the fact that uh, going out to get an ice cream was a treat, I mean, these guys don't see that. So there's a lot of difference that's coming in their mindset. Um, and I think our job is to not to reflect on how we grew up, but to give them the right upbringing in the environment in which they're growing up right now. Uh, the, for me, yeah, the, it's the Newton's third law of uh, motion. For every action, you know, action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So the more I tell my kids, and I'm, my kids listen to this, so they're going to eventually 
listen to this and laugh at it that every time i push them to do something out of ordinary they come back and ask me why and when i tell them my story and they go like that's your story that's not our story right so that has been the challenge and i'm not looking for my kids to do exactly what i did or have that path but what i'm ask my kids to do is try something if you don't like it it's fine if you like it you might continue and they've always pushed back to me saying like hey no that's not our way of testing things out so so at some point i'm like you know i'm of, of course being an indian i'm going to still push them to go get college education from a good college uh and at some point i have to leave it because their risk taking abilities and the intuition would come while they are in their own journey me guiding them to say hey you got to take risk is not going to really help them so it's something that shashi also mentioned about inculcating values and uh, making sure that that's something we do a good job of because in the end that's what the kids will take forward and it brings me to this other thought that i've been having about you know uh, kids who grow up in a in a comfortable environment with privilege you know privilege without guardrails can also lead to bad behavior right if you look at some of the things that are happening with facebook for example or some of the companies where you know the people who are running it perhaps never had to struggle and don't have really any maybe difficult experiences or scars from the kinds of lives that we <laughs> remember how how will a generation that has maybe never suffered build empathy and then work on things that truly help humanity rather than you know maximizing profit and stuff like that so that's the other piece that i always wonder about is are we giving our kids the experiences that help them also see the world you know we 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 travel a lot and part of the reason we travel is because we enjoy traveling and enjoy experiencing cultures but part of it is also to open our eyes and our kids eyes to the fact that uh, everything doesn't look like america <laughs> the world is very different and hopefully you build some empathy and some uh, uh, you know understand what's going on in the world outside your bubble so any thoughts on this maybe shashi you you uh, you got some thoughts here Hey, look, I think this is a very difficult issue, uh, Vijay. Look, you know, I mean, traveling and all that gives people some exposure, and that's fantastic. Uh, you know, reading, being aware of current affairs, being aware of history, and all that gives uh, a perspective as well. But uh, you know, one thing that I've reflected on quite a bit, you know, especially since George Floyd happened, you know, those George Floyd happened, and then there was a huge amount of uh, sentiment everywhere in the world. But I got asked a question in front of a my team, two thousand people. I got asked a question about why our organization is not supporting the political movement uh, around George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. And it's a really difficult question and it made me reflect really hard. And the fact is that it's very difficult to understand somebody's experiences until it becomes your own lived experience. So you can empathize with it, you can understand it, but you don't truly understand what it is until it becomes your own lived experience. And frankly, you know, the experience of black people in america is not going to become my lived experience no matter what i do so i think it's what we need to do here is to make sure that people get you know our children especially get a sense that there is more to the world than their experience other people come with other experiences and it's important to understand and empathize with that and in particular you know our children who are growing in very privileged environments you know and in very wealthy countries uh there is a special responsibility on us to make them understand that this is not the way the bulk of the world looks and the experience of the vast majority of people is incredibly different and i'll add to that too so 
you know, it's also probably in my family a boy versus girl thing too. Uh, my son is kind of mostly nonchalant about things in the life, but my daughter is a little bit more <coughs> observant, looks around what's going on in the world, and she does ask me different questions. So what I've learned is that, you know, you give them the pointers, but don't try to tell them how to react. So one of the jokes I used to do with my kids, and, and, and it backfired, it's like, hey, you guys are wasting food. You know, they're part of the world where kids are going hungry and don't even know where the meal comes from. And the question was like, okay, me not eating food here, how that's going to help them? It, it was like, a, it was a shock, right? In a way that, you know, we say that these things, but it was like, okay, so what are we going to do about it then? Uh, forget the food wastage, that's a different question now, but how are we going to help the kids that are impoverished and all, you know, uh, other issues? And she's involved in some charities, my son actually got involved in some charities this way. So I think uh, the answer is go help the kids out and find them ways to get food is not my way. It's like, hey, there are people suffering out there. What will you do to help them? And <clears throat> I, I'll tell you my own story. When I was growing up, because I was not growing up even in the upper side of the middle class, I did not really have time to worry about other kids and whether what they had it, what they did not have. Only after when I became self-sufficient in terms of financial and all those things, that's when I started looking out and saying, hey, yeah, there are people out there who need help, right? So I think part of that is we talk about privileged kids. Unless until they've seen, until unless they've observed in person or through other medium, they will not feel it. They, will, they might donate it. They might do some uh, social service hours. But they need to feel it. And for that, you know, travel to India is very helpful because I'm not saying because something bad about India, but that's how they get to see different side of the country, you know, the world. Uh, America, we live in a suburb. Everybody's happy. Everybody's got what they need. Although some of their school friends come from poor backgrounds where they get free meals from the school. But that still does not hit them as hard as when they come to India and see some of the other, other families here. Uh, so I think part of that is letting them be in that situation and develop their own emotion and let them develop their own ways of sympathize or take action rather than tell them this is what you got to do. Uh, in my case, I don't know, maybe guys, it worked on you guys. In my case, me telling my kids what to do has not worked. Maybe I'm a, <laughs> maybe I need to go get some coaching on that, but putting them in a situation and letting them figure it out, how to work it out is more helpful for them. And I think that's how I, uh, that's how I developed my own personality, being in a situation, seeing how I am doing either poorly compared to them or better than them has helped me drive my behavior. No, all, all beautiful thoughts, guys. And I think uh, I think we've covered the main basis here. But the I think what it all boils down to is how do we create a mindset which uh, balances two things, right? It's a uh, I, the concept I think about is how do you figure out what is enough for yourself? And it's not really about maximizing for yourself, but really thinking about growing the pie for the larger world, right? So uh, what can you do in your life where you obviously need to live a comfortable life? You have to have the ability to, when, when you don't have the day-to-day -day stress, then you can think about the larger things. And, you know, all of us have been through that and we realize the importance of that. And I never will tell anybody to, uh, have a very difficult personal life and then go serve the world. Try to figure out a way to set yourself up so that you can have the base comforts. 
but then have some calibration on what that is and how much you need. And then be very, very abundant in your thinking about how you can create for the world and grow the pie for the world. And hopefully that's, that's something that our next generation can think about with some of the flexibility that's been afforded to them. Guys, it's been an awesome conversation. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, I think there's plenty more that we could go on this topic, but uh, I really enjoyed it today. I uh, hope you guys did too. And uh, any, any final thoughts? Nira, I think you have something to say. I think we need to build on to this one. There's so much to cover, right? There's a part of uh, our childhood, there's a part of our adulthood, and there's a part of our parenthood. I think this is a, uh, we have kind of sort of opened a Pandora's box here. So uh, I would like to see build on to this. And especially when Vishwas is back, maybe, you know, bring some of the guests, uh, our listeners that are interested in this topic. Yeah, I think that'd be great. I think bringing some other people also with some varied experiences beyond the four of us would also be awesome. And I think we're starting to think in that direction anyway for the for the podcast. So let's see what else is out there that we can, some additional experiences which are very different from ours. Thanks, guys. Uh, have a great one. I'll catch up with you guys uh, in a week. Take care.